The year? Wait, wait. I got this. No, no, I got, got this, this one. one. The year is 1977. <laughs> Alrighty, or I'm Dave. I'm Zach. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right, you go ahead. Sorry. The year is 1977. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is my marvelous year. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we take you through all the most important Marvel stories from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside Dave, who I just found out is my boss. He calls me a secretary. Uh, Administrative assistant. Thank you. Well, well, he says secretary behind closed doors. Grow up. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be talking about 1977 part two. Do you think secretary is a sexist word? I think it's kind of antiquated and not Mm. really used in any office space I've been in. Yeah, but that's, it's actually sexist not to use secretary. <laughs> Please, elaborate. I'd love well, for the show to begin with this way. Okay, we talked about this. I think it's sexist. It's not really. I mean, I'm joking and being hyperbolic, but I think the reason they switched off secretary is because it's like, it got turned into a gendered thing, and it's like, people don't want to, a men don't want to be called a nurse, they want to be called a male nurse, or something weird like that. I think it's the same thing, where like, men view it as some kind of like, emasculating job title. So it had to be turned into administrative assistant. You know what I mean? Please, more secretary takes. I'm <laughs> fast. I'm so fascinated. By all this. right, all right. Uh, okay. Jesus. You know what? No. Why don't you start the show? You had a better thing than <laughs> I did. This is horrible. <laughs> you start it. You go. Um. Okay. What was I gonna say? Oh shoot. Now I lost it. Oh. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the reading club and podcast where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I'm joined today by the person voted most likely to complain about a 53-page black and white comic. It's Zach Dean. How's it going, Zach? Uh, Good. I I mean, I'm going to eat a little crow. You know what? This is is a good little jumping off point. Hang on, hold up that crow to the camera. I want to see this. I had to describe that phrase to um to a a non-American listener the other day who was oh, yeah? very confused about that. Yeah, that is a weird um, colloquialism when you think about it. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, black and white magazines are a big thing in Marvel comics at this time, and uh, this is the first one I've enjoyed reading. We've talked about this a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. why did did you have this experience where you're like, this is just harder to read digitally, right? It is. It is a little bit. I I find, so we're in 1977, and we're going to be talking about part two today of our reading list covering the most essential stories from Marvel Comics in 77. That's what we do here on My Marvel this year. And the back half here, we've got an issue called Marvel Preview number 11. Marvel Preview was not your standard floppy comic book, right? So most of these things are released in floppy magazine-style comics. Marvel Preview is like, so actually magazine-style is the wrong term to use because Marvel Preview is like an actual magazine, right? Like these are bigger books. They are digitally reproduced in black and white. 
Um, but Marvel had this whole magazine line throughout the 70s. And like you said, we've run into it a time or two here. I actually looked it up because I've been seeing these things at cons, and I find it kind of fascinating. But like stuff like Savage Sword of Conan falls into the Marvel magazine line. Yeah, I've read Deadly some of Hands those, of Kung yeah. Fu. Um, there's, there's this Vampire Tales, which is one that we read, right? Like there's this whole interesting uh, sort of world of Marvel, Marvel magazine fare that uh, they were also able to skirt the comics code authority because they were technically not comics, right? So this is this is uh, something I, I think I brought up. I read the Savage Tales of Conan or whatever, um, whatever comic that was in. Savage Sword. And yeah, yeah. Um, the comics code, I think, for once was a boon to the quality of the comics because that comic was so unhinged in the amount of like, they were like, well, all bets are off. So like, Every woman is going to be topless, bathing under a waterfall. Like, the violence is going to be amped way up, totally just for its own sake. Like, it just turned into an exploitation comic. Right, you, you and, for a whole day, were chatting me the most vulgar things. And I was like, what has tampered with Zach's mind <laughs> in such a way? It was Savage Sword. Yes, yeah, I mean, definitely I had been, uh, yeah, they're a bad influence on me. That's That's definitely for sure. You've come um, but, down uh, from there. You are finally wearing like like two thousands clothing again. The barbarian inst- phase was a little wild. Instead of a skimpy saber toothed tiger fur bikini, I was impressed you got your hands on that. To be honest, yeah. But yeah sure. So Marvel's got these mags. I think we're gonna let's. I guess. Do you want to start there? Or do you want to go in order? We could start with Marvel preview because yeah, that's, sure. That's we we can do that. About. Well, I I I want to. I mean. I think I I guess I just want to say like I'm kind of interested in these comics. I wish they were easier to read digitally. This one was pretty good, but often I feel like they're um they're not sharp enough that you can track them visually. Like the contrast is not there that you can parse the images quickly and easily with the scans that they do and that makes it that much harder to read. This was pretty good. Like the art here was really good and super clear, but I really want to check out Deadly Hands of Kung Fu because our boy Don McGregor coming off Black Panther. This is like the only thing. The only other thing that he really is known for is doing a good run of Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. That and some Luke Cage. I think Deadly Hands would be the type of book that I'd be most curious to check out either at like picking up back issues at cons or via the omnibus that I know has been released. Because I I do agree with you that digitally you, you definitely are losing something or at least I'm losing something. Marvel preview number eleven we put on the list here because it's the it's the like sort of origins sort of sci fi beginnings of Star Lord in nineteen seventy seven. Mm-hmm. So this is a story by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. We are rapidly approaching actually in by the end of this episode the debut of Claremont and Byrne together on Uncanny X Men. The title they are most yep. well known for. They also do some Iron Fist here. So we got a big Claremont and Byrne episode here in seventy seven. They're going to be big big creative team collaborators. Big. big. Big boys. Big, big, big boys. And uh, I would say big daddies of the Marvel Universe, if we're being honest. Like, there's a yeah. lot that comes from them that is that is transformative and sets the stage for the Marvel Universe moving forward. Marvel preview number 11 is not necessarily that, although retroactively, because Star-Lord has become so big, these comics are kind of fascinating. Like, so these are the actual, honest-to-goodness origins of Peter Quill, not as we know him today, because boy, oh boy, does Peter Quill change in the MCU and sort of, you know, like in the late 2000s compared to what he is in the 70s, which is a Star Warsian anti-hero, I think. Yeah, is real origin? I, I don't think it's that far removed from the MCU. Like a lot of the little details are changed, but there's a lot of like thematic overlap, right? Like he is kind of the the loner Han Solo type a little bit, which comes through in the movie 
or at least in the movie he wants to be, right? Because he's directly influenced by Han Solo and like right. growing up with 70s and 80s culture. Um, but, you know, he's got like an Earth mother who was killed and he doesn't know who his father is. And his father turns out to be this like larger than life, like powerful space emperor, which I mean, it's not ego, right? That's <laughs> they, they changed that a big way in the MCU, but it's still kind of that same... Uh, that same framework. Well, it's Jason of Spartax we find in this comic. So, oh, I mean, don't don't ask me to tell you like <laughs> details about this. This was all I like this a lot, but like none it washes of washes over this, you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, Jason of Spartax is a name that sticks because those are the types of details that have stuck in in Star Lord okay. comics moving forward. Um, the the his origin as portrayed in the pages of and and we should mention here Starla is not a character created by Claremont and Byrne. There's actually a previous issue of Marvel Preview written by Steve Englehart. Um, and I'm blanking on the artist, so apologies there. But it's written by Englehart. That's the actual origin of the character. And those those origin beats of like you know his mom's kind of dying, the spaceship comes down, he runs out in the woods. A lot of that stuff actually you can find the seeds for it there. There's also mm-hmm. like an absolutely horrifying, uh, like, what would you call it? Like, uh, love interest or romantic, like abusive romantic interest of Peter's mom in that, who, uh, who may or may not try to off Peter as a baby. Um, so I'm pretty happy with, uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy doing away with some of those elements, but either way, that's, that's what set the stage for getting to this version of Star-Lord. Like I said, it's very much like a Star Trek meets Star Wars type thing. Now we should mention Star Wars actually just came out this year. In 77. We have finally oh officially reached <laughs> Star Wars as a reference point for anyone. May 25th, 1977, A New Hope comes out. Um, and Marvel begins producing Star Wars comics, which we are not going to cover officially as part of my Marvelous Year. That would be my Starvelous Year if we are going to do Ooh, that. What are your thoughts I on that hate, name? <laughs> hate it and love it? Okay. <laughs> it is absolutely unwieldy as a title to, like, you know, that people would understand what the hell it means. But it does work is a good joke thank you thank you yeah i like i like like the joke but uh seo no way new search engine optimization there yeah sorry i mean i I don't want mean to tell you stuff about seo but i do know a thing or two about seo between Um, the two of us excuse me uh, average search volume for starveless is actually 1200 per month zach so we're going to (laughs) optimize around that term (laughs) i really gonna i'm gonna google starveless right now (laughs) please do uh so yeah Marvel Preview 11, it's a big cosmic Wait, story. Sorry. It's it's literally <laughs> enormous. Google just said, did you mean Smarvelous? <laughs> well, yes, I did. Yeah. What does Smarvelous mean? Uh, if I click on Smarvelous, um, uh, there's a 1927 George Gershwin song uh, called S- Is Is Wonderful, Is Marvelous. Is Marvelous. It's like S, S- Wonderful, S Marvelous. Like wonderful, marvelous. Okay, cool. We will yep, yep, definitely yep. be going into George Gershwin's uh, Ovoir soon. In the meantime, do you have any additional thoughts <laughs> on oh, yeah, the yeah. beginnings of Star Lord here? I think they're fascinating because of what the characters become. That said, do I frequently want to read or reread fifty-three pages of it? No, I don't. Even though, like I said, Claremont and Burner are powerhouse. Um, I was really it's, mad it's at a you. Really for interesting. This? I was upset that I had to read all this black and white magazine. And I really only did it for the club. Like, I would have skipped this if I was reading it just solo. And it turned out to be the best thing we read this year, I think. It's well executed, right? Not, not this year, this this episode. Wow, that's, yeah, actually, very well done. that's actually a really bold claim. You think it's the best thing on this list? Yeah. This I list that so. includes the Phoenix Saga? We'll get to that. I don't know Holy why. Holy okay. moly. 
Holy yeah, guacamole, ladies and germs. We'll, we'll talk about it. I, I think it's the best executed thing here, even if it has, like, zero real impact on the future. You're going to be the best like... executed thing on this pod to keep saying the slander about <laughs> <laughs> the Sorry. Slander. Okay. Yeah. I. Well, okay. We'll, we'll get into it. Um. Yeah. No, I think it's really good. John Byrne's art is excellent. Yeah. His art is, like, super crisp and clear. And there are other times this year where it is not as crisp and clear. And then I, it made me realize, like, oh, it's the inking. Like, someone inked his work to make it less... It's like, um... What am I thinking? Jim Lee? You know, the DC... Well, he does a lot of stuff for DC later. Oh, I know me some Jim Lee. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He does, like, very, very detailed work, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and then you will see a black and white picture of it that looks pretty clear. Like, you know exactly what it's looking... You're looking at, and then it gets colored in, and it becomes harder to parse a little bit. Like, hard to parse all those details. I don't know if that's unique to Jim Lee, but I hear what you're saying. No, no, that's not Jim Lee. He's just he's just the example, I guess. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of. I've I've seen that happen with his work. Like, yeah, I've seen layouts where like the black and white to the colored version. Um, I guess that happens the other way around too, where you have like work that's kind of hard to figure out in black and white, and the color really makes it pop. Um, anyway, what I'm getting at is the black and white here works really well. It looks like he knows he's working in black and white. Yes, this was not made to be colored in. Like. It contrasts, it reads really easily, the writing is, like, pretty sharp, and it flows really well. Like, it feels like he's trying to tell a movie here, right? Like, this is not a series. It's a whole movie. Yeah. This is, yeah, right. This is, like, a complete story. It feels done. It kind of feels like, actually, Chris Claremont wrote at the end, like, this was his attempt at writing a straight sci-fi. He was like, I didn't want to do X-Men in space. I didn't want to talk about Thor in space. Like, those are sci-fi-ish. This was my attempt at doing a science fiction story. I mean, I think, I think it succeeds Pretty successful, yeah. 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 yeah, Totally. I mean, this it's is, good this is if, a hard uh, sci-fi story. It, I, You know what I think is interesting, and part of it's because it is in black and white, and it's this weird magazine format, is like, it's the sort of thing I would expect somebody to say, like, hey, check out this, um, this weird, like, you know, pure science fiction magazine that used to be released. And it was a whole bunch of names and stories I'd never heard of before. Except this one happen with 70s kind of cosmic sensibilities this one just so happens to include a character who has become one of the biggest most well-known like action stars of the mm-hmm. 2010s you know right, like there's yeah. just this weird because in the actual issue nothing about this feels like marvel comics no no not really i mean it, it's not like so far off from some of the avengers space stuff we've seen but like it's definitely not like in line with the thanos stuff or no. the jim starlin stuff no like it, it's a different tone yeah um yeah yeah i liked it it's uh it's pretty good story works decent yeah, and characters if you're super it's... into these marvel has done a good job filling in a lot of the marvel preview especially the yeah Star-Lord there's some of those. bits because yeah. obviously because of guardians so if you're digging them there's there's a bit more there, to go back to there's a thor one i want to check out like a marvel uh marvel preview magazine with thor yeah and that that seems pretty interesting to me um yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, cool. Job, so let's Chris Claremont. <laughs> good job, Chris. <laughs> let's go into the. You know what's wild about Chris Claremont at this point? I was, I was just reading a little uh, untold, untold story, history of Marvel Comics the other night, and mm-hmm. so when Len Wein takes over as editor in chief, which is around like seventy five, seventy six, um, he takes over for Roy Thomas, who had kind of a falling out with Stan Lee, and anyway, it's a whole thing. But Len Wein takes over. His assistant editor at the time was Chris Claremont who was, I think, 24 years old at the time. So he's like 25, 26, 27 range, you know, as these Mm -hmm. comics are coming out and and ascending to all-time Marvel status. Like His prefrontal cortex? Not even fully developed yet. 
That's right. Like he's got like the left side of his brain is is okay. like no, almost it's encased mush. in silver. It's <laughs> <laughs> would you? I would believe that if somebody told me his Chris Claremont's brain was was super specially like cybernetic or something, I would mm. buy it. We should encase it in silver. Put that thing in a museum, baby. All right. So speaking That's what of, I mean. yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go down the list in order now. And actually, by order, I mean. Let's go in the order I originally put these, which means Uncanny X-Men first, because chronologically that works before Iron Fist. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Technically, it does. Yep, yep, yep. I, I double-checked this one, Zach. And yes, all right, we're yes, going to read yes. Uncanny X-Men number 104 to 108, Phoenix Saga Baby, and the final Dave Cockrum issues on art before issue number 108 brings in Johnny B, John Byrne. Zach, you've already spoken some harsh harsh words <laughs> about the phoenix saga we don't start with all phoenix so what did you think of the early going of this uncanny x-men period um, begins with magneto me. triumphant yes begins yes, with yes. The return okay so of magneto on muir Island. Ba- baby magneto which was a really fun little Have like we talked about baby mags yet i don't think so i read it for extra issues yeah. it's in 1975 i think there's a defenders issue where like magneto creates the alpha mutant and it doesn't matter because it's never a character that really comes back. But this mutant who can manipulate matter or whatever turned mm-hmm. both Magneto and the rest of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants into little evil mutant babies. Yeah, I cute. think it's I think it's Defenders number sixteen. I want to say, and I think, I think it's, you're right. I feel like it's a Steve Gerber yeah. issue. Yeah, um, yeah. But is, I could yeah. be off on that. But he gets turned into a baby, and. And Moira McTaggart adopts him, which is she takes him to her facility, and this is also the first we see of Moira McTaggart's uh, Muir Island research facility. So, like, there's been sort of a slow, actually fairly quick build of Myra. Oh, she's here, and she's the housekeeper. Oh, she knows how to handle a machine gun and fight demons. Uh, Oh, she's got a history with Professor X. And oh, by the way, she has a mutant research center in Scotland, right? And one of her prisoner slash patients is Baby Magneto. Right. Yeah. 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 And she's, you know, she's studying mutants. Yeah. At some point, somebody says it might be an, an issue we didn't read that I read later. Somebody says to her or someone's talking about her and says, like, why would one of the foremost experts on mutant genetics be working as a housekeeper? All right. So, like, we're, we're getting to, like, something's up. She's not just a housekeeper. It's weird that she's here. She has a yeah. romantic history with Charles Xavier, which kind of keeps, like, rearing up its head because she's now involved with Banshee. Um there's a really funny shot in 109, after we read this, that uh, Banshee comes in and immediately grabs Moira and smooches her, and in the background is framed Professor X just staring daggers at them. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so, okay, I think the Magneto stuff is decent. There's uh, a pretty good story here about, like, they build up the thread of Magneto by talking about, like, the old X-Men team knew how to fight Magneto. They knew what they were dealing with, but the new one has no context for this. They don't understand what he's capable of. Well, let's so clarify. Like... He was aged back to adulthood. They are not fighting. If, oh, if they right, were fighting right. yes, a yes. baby <laughs> Magneto in the cape and, and helmets, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Uh, but no, Very he cute. has been aged back up by the mysterious Eric the Red, and he's a little upset that he got turned into a baby and kept prisoner on Myra's facility, the all new, all different X Men just happen to be there uh, to to take him on, and yes. they get tossed around oftentimes, literally, because Wolverine and Colossus. Two of them as it are made out. of two of them are made of metal now. Yeah, right? yeah, bad fits for fighting Magneto. I like so uh, a couple little things about Wolverine. Clearly, like they haven't talked about the fact that his whole skeleton 
is adamantium, right? Because when he gets tossed, he goes like, my claws! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he's being manipulated by the claws. So that, that wasn't in their mind yet. I don't know that um, we even have, like, firm, definitive healing factor No, we have yet. not. I'm pretty sure there we is, don't. There's a little wink to this later, maybe, where In some, Iron Fist? No. Okay. Uh, in, it's like 107 or 108. Somebody on the, the Shi'ar planet blasts oh, him with fire, yeah, yeah. and it burns all his clothes off. <laughs> and he is like mostly just annoyed. Yeah. Right? Like right. and people are more concerned for him than it looks like they needed to be, right? So like people are also that, very distracted by his full buff nakedness. I mean he didn't even his his hair didn't even burn off. Like his clothes burn off of him and to reveal the, the carpet of fur on his chest. Oh, they revealed more than that, let me tell you. Go on. Zach, I'm talking about his huge honking Audi Big Audi belly. <laughs> oh, gross. That's... Yeah, it's enormous. Sorry, that really bothers me. Um, <laughs> also, I, I realized this uh, later on <laughs> when someone said his name. Now, we don't know his name. It doesn't get re- revealed until 109 that everyone just calls him Wolverine. Everyone else, like, you know, there's Peter, Colossus, Kurt, his Nightcrawler. Like, everyone has a first name. Yeah. Everyone has a real name. Wolverine just goes by Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't get revealed to 109. I'm going to make a case later. We'll talk about this in a bit. I think 109, uh, probably everyone's going to be reading all of the Uncanny X-Men, and you Mm -hmm. should, Mm -hmm. but you really should read 109. I think 109 was better than anything we read here. I think it was better than 104 to 108 by a mile. Well, let's uh, let's keep talking about that once we get to the end, because so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, I don't even, this doesn't even bear repeating, but Uncanny X-Men is read every issue territory, and it sure. should be for those interested, um, but I am curious as to your take on, on the specifics of that issue, because 108 did feel like a stopping point to me. Um, so, basically, the X-Men, I, I guess they kind of lose, you know, to Magneto. Like, more or less, he wins, he feels like he won, and he yep, basically just kind of gets away. away to do what he wants, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they run I, away. Wolverine like threatens to kill Cyclops because he made him run away. He's <laughs> like Wolverine, is, he's so mad that he, uh, you know, I don't know that he's never been a coward before. Yeah, whatever. I don't yeah, know. So it's classic Cyclops Wolverine dynamics getting getting more firmly established here. Um, the X Men, they so while all this is happening, there's also then building into Professor X has been having these dreams. Of an alien, we now know woman. I think we do get some glimpses of that. This is going to be Lalandra of the Shi'ar Empire. She's Sexy been giving him stress nightmares, lady. stress sex nightmares. I think. No, is... well, well, okay. Strex is nightmares. Mm-hmm. Is out there. Yep. Um, these actually cause Professor X's psyche to break, and I think one of. Could be yes. 106. No, it's um, 105. Where the X-Men are all back. They're training in the danger room. And Professor X, his psyche unleashes uh, the five original X-Men, or telepathic versions of them, to fight yep. the X-Men, which is not the first time we've seen classics versus all new. We saw and this it, five It's a little tired. Ago. Yeah. I'm yeah, a little that, t- tired the, of it already. The thing is, this works better than 100. 100, it was pretty dull because it was like robots. This is a lot more interesting, right? Like having it be a reflection of this dark side of Professor X's psyche. I like Dark about... Professor X a fair amount. I mean, this is the introduction of that. We haven't really seen anything hinting at that really yet, but he yeah. talks about now, like, oh, well, you know, I have this dark side, but I always can keep it at bay. But because of the stress of getting these, like, psychic images from Lalandra, the Shi'ar woman, yeah. Uh, yeah, his brain goes a little nutty, and he starts attacking his X-Men, and they fight him off, and then eventually he grapples control again. If this didn't just happen in 100, this would be pretty good. But, like, yes, it's kind of baffling better. that you would do two 
old versus new X-Men in less than six issues. There's just no real tension because every time <laughs> every time Iceman shows up and says like screw you Nightcrawler, <laughs> like you know, you know what the deal is now. It's just yeah, so obviously yeah, yeah. like, oh, okay, someone's messing with them again. I do like Dark Professor X's cape. I think he wears it well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep, yep. he's stressed out. Eventually, finally, Lalandra does show up. Um, she does come crashing to Earth in a whole big mess of cosmic happenings. It, inc- it involves Eric the Red. It involves Fire Lord, the former Herald of Galactus. Yep, uh, yeah, it yeah. gets messy and wild, and I don't want to get super into it because really all of it is to build up to Professor X meets Lalandra. They instantly have a romantic connection. Eric the Red's Which plotting... Which I never understood. Like Their romantic connection? Keeps- it's, yeah, it's I don't really like a, it. they, it's like they a love at it. first uh, first dream or something. Like there's this weird bond yeah. they share that is based no, on no, more it's than not, like it's not meeting at each that other. because like he's terrified of her. He's just like no, he's you've come for me. And then she helmet. takes her helmet off, and then he's like, "Ooh, sexy feathers." Um, I don't <laughs> think that's how it plays out. No, it. Well, no, you're right. It doesn't because he <laughs> describes her as like a soulmate almost instantly like there's this psychic rapport thing going on that is that has a lot more to do than just like physical attraction i think yeah you're right no it it is funny though the book kind of keeps trying to tell like sell us on the idea that this is a like a beautiful bird woman and i'm just like i don't know i don't see it what is your bird Literally, thing i don't hear she's not a bird i don't know they keep talking about it. They keep talking that she are like a bird race, but they don't look like it. I don't they're understand. Actu- that that is interesting actually. Um, no, they they talk about that very a lot. Humanoid in appearance. Yeah, they look like humanoid with like I don't know, slightly alien like bone structure on their face. I mean, face. mostly they just have punk rock hairdos. Yeah, right, which fit made of feathers, maybe? If Lalandra's hair is made of feathers, my brain's going to explode. That would be incredible. Okay. The Shi'ar are cold-blooded humanoids of avian descent, resembling oh. humans with feathered crests atop their head in lieu of hair. I truly did not know that. That's amazing. They conceive their offspring in eggs. They are nurtured in special chambers, and the children are referred to as hatchlings. Holy guacamole. I gotta do some Shi'ar mm-hmm. research. Yep. Do a Man. Shi'ar reading order. I, I no, you don't have the... to, because honestly, they're kind of boring. Uh, you don't like the Shi'ar? I, I, I kind of no, like the I don't the Shi'ar. dislike them. I'm just kind of like... Okay, you, like, you want to make this a thing. <laughs> like, this is clearly more important to Chris Claremont than... Well, you know I who it might it... be more important to than Chris is Dave Cockrum, former uh, Legion of Superheroes mega fan, who gets to do the Legion with the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. So, eventually, Jean Grey, the X-Men, they all go to space to help Lilandro. We find out she's, like, an escaped... Uh, probably not going to be as good as what I'm saying because I'm talking about. I'm going to forget Legion about the superheroes. So what do you want to say? At the very end of this, there's a little like at the end and like coming next issue. There's a thing like this is dedicated to you know great artist Dave Cockrum, and then there's a tiny little note under it that just says, "I'm not dead, Dave." <laughs> it's a great note, but you're <laughs> also off an issue. That's at the end of the issue I'm describing. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sorry. That's that, at the end of but... 107. Okay, uh, which I'm is sorry, the one yeah. where the X-Men go and they meet the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. This is our yes. first introduction of the whole Imperial Guard. It is very much a take on the Legion of Superheroes where you just have everyone looks totally different. Terrible. They've all got terrible. completely unique powers. And uh, you think they're terrible? I think this is a terrible issue. It is. What? I, I counted. Do you know how many new characters get introduced in a ton happens. pages? You get the Starjammers. 22 new characters are introduced in 18 pages. It is baffling. It so is you think such it's a like, bad idea. It's like it's too a, much to take a on mess. in a single issue? Yeah. Oh, I mean, nothing like... It, 
Okay. Okay. You don't have to walk away I, from this like, oh yeah, I know every one of the Imperial Guards. No, no, de- definitely lots of them are just background. But uh, no, I think it's kind of a big mess where I never know where I am. Like, try telling me like where War anyone messy, stands Zach. in relation to anyone else, like in space in this one. Interesting. It is, it is geographically like you you never get any grounding with the art in this. Uh, it is full. I, I counted one page. Not a double spread. One page had 18 different people, like, drawn on it, it across, like, six different panels. Like, And you're saying that just, is a bad thing. It's so overcrowded with people. and It's, it's like, a cock rumble. Excuse me? Are you, re- are you ready to cock rumble? <laughs> That's a pun on Dave Cockrum and rumble. Uh-huh. A cock rumble. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. I think it is, to Chris Claremont's credit, that this is still readable. And it... Okay. When I say it's terrible, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm you were being the worst. We know. Uh, exaggerating, but like it is. I I think that is a big detractor from how good this could be because his writing like pulls it through, and you generally get the vibe of what's happening. But it is like, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to see all these people? Well, like, let's explain the vibe of what's happening because it's pretty important. So the X Men and Lalandra they come into space. Here we meet Emperor Dakan, who has who is Lalandra's brother who is the emperor of the Shi'ar uh, Imperial whatever, Empire, is the word I should mm-hmm. be using there. And he is kind of a mad king, right, as, as we come to find. But at this point in time, what we know is he has exiled Lalandra. She is a wanted criminal. He's wanted Eric the Red on planet Earth, basically to kill her if you know on site if found. Um, we've seen that there's actually a really good scene before this where there's a Shi'ar space shuttle uh, coming in trying to get Lalandra's ship before she can safely arrive in Earth. And as they're like trying to take her out, one of the one of the lackeys on the ship says, "This planet has fended off Galactus four times." And the Shi'ar yeah, that was a good like, detail. What are you kidding me? And they bail based on being just completely scared out of their minds that this planet handled yeah. Galactus. That's a cool little like Marvel universe. That's a good moment of, tissue. Thing. Yeah, that, that's a good moment of like folding in the history of Marvel. Yeah, into into that just a little wink. If you've like seen that happen, right? That makes you like. I was just like, hell yeah, Earth. Right, like I had a little right, moment right. of uh, little, little Earth, <laughs> of pride. Earth pride. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So when they yeah, get I... to this battle with the Imperial Guard, there's a because it, it feels potentially like, well, why are the X Men fighting on behalf of the Landers so quickly? They just met. They don't really know the details here. They do. Cyclops is like, hey, maybe we can talk it out. They're like, hey, do you guys want to fight? Gladiator's like, we need her. She's our prisoner. Cyclops then responds to that with, nope, screw it. Blast him with an I beam, and the battle is off. <laughs> So yeah, it's not I, the best effort at diplomacy I've ever seen. No, 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 I know. That that, that part is pretty funny, how, how quickly... They, I mean, they don't have space for it, right? They have to get to the fight because... It's a big like, fight. Because it's an issue-long fight over, like... God, it's basically Dakan is creating some new weapon that he doesn't understand will destroy the universe, right? Yeah. And the end of this issue ends with this giant gem, which is the weapon... Or whatever, it's like a portal into the end galaxy, whatever. None of that matters. None of this is really going to come back in a big way. I looked it up to see if, like, <laughs> this really matters. Uh, what are you saying? The Emkron I mean, Crystal, baby? Okay, I mean... This you're... has meaning, my man. This the Phoenix Ga- Saga has lots of meaning. The Emkron Crystal is the weapon that Dakan does not understand. Okay. That he is <laughs> utilizing here and will potentially destroy the universe. Okay. Yes. This, yes. y- this weapon is so potent and so out of control that Peter Corbeau, the astronaut here I that like, we've met before, senses a blip a la Thanos snap 
that you may remember from Endgame, where it's like everything just ceased to exist for, for a like as, as it's charging up, the universe blinks out of existence for a second, which is a very cool detail. That is yeah. a very cool and like frightening detail. The way they yep. did that, like Corbo is you know completely shaken to his core. He's talking no, that, with Reed good, Richards. He's talking building. with Avengers. They're all like, we don't know what to do. It's too far away. Hopefully, yep. someone handles it. That yes. someone is the X Men. This is a big deal. This is hitting everywhere. Absolutely. Dakan, mm-hmm. is, I, I don't have a great sense, and I and maybe I just didn't read it closely enough on this reread, what Dakan's game is here, I'll be honest. Um, like he, what doesn't, he doesn't understand that it is, like, he thinks he can wield it, and he doesn't Just, hey, here's some power I can use. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't get that, like, he's going to get destroyed along with everything else. Like, he thinks he'll be able to control it. Okay, and before we get to the <clears throat> final issue of this, another introduction here. Starjammers, welcome to... My Marvelous Year, the Starjammers. This is the mm-hmm. unit led by Corsair, who very quickly, no spoilers here, is revealed to be the father of Cyclops. Gene meets him and does a mind scan and says, no, it can't be. It is. It's Corsair. He's Cyclops' daddy. And yep. uh, he's got a team of people like Chad and Hebziba <laughs> and uh, one Ooh, other dude that I'm forgetting. Hebziba. You know all that? Like... <laughs> I knew you'd like Hebziba. You all that furry. all that sexy bird talk just fell really flat for me, but sexy cat talk. Your alley, yeah. So they're there as well, alley um, cat, and, and they show up. They are they are the rebels. They are the I guess like by Dakan they'd be labeled the terrorists of the Shi'ar Empire. Um, they're really they're more like space pirates. Um, and and they show up to help out the X Men as well. And all of that leads to basically the X Men and Starjammers and maybe a handful of others getting pushed into the Emkron crystal, literally inside of this reality-warping gem to try and stop it. While they inside like it, an, an they meet endless... a tiny guy who's really powerful. <laughs> oh, my God. That guy, <laughs> that guy was really funny. Yeah. It was just, like, all this buildup of, like, the most powerful crystal, and he was like, ha-ha, I am its protector for a reason. Uh, there's a big one, and there's a little one. I'm the little one. Yeah. <laughs> and And... And that's it. It just, it literally just felt like it was like, well, it can't just be the crystal. Like, I have to give them a fight. And, I mean, they, he beats all the X-Men up until Banshee hugs him and screams in his face. And you never really see what happens. Like, you don't see him unconscious. I'm not sure if Banshee just, like, you don't obliterated him with a scream. Banshee <laughs> yeah. screams in his face. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> Sorry. I just keep picturing Banshee, like... Screaming in our our patron Mike Cook's face uh, and him loving it, yeah, because he he's got a big shout outs to Mike. Thanks for your support yep. on Patreon.com/slash My Marvelous Year. Yeah, so the X Men fend off this tiny dude, and that gives Jean Grey the opportunity to unleash some of her newfound psychic power, some of her newfound Phoenix power to stop this thing from destroying the universe. She has to hold hands with a few friends. I think initially it's Corsair and Storm um, which, in a classic, which is a weird choice. We better hold right? hands like, to gain power thing. You know? Yeah, Stor- Storm makes sense. Corsair, I didn't really understand. Uh, he's just around, and, and she, I know. she tells him, like, hey, I know you're Scott's dad, and then that, like, somehow gives them a connection. I don't totally know. I, I hated this. So, oh, right, yeah. So, Phoenix, basically, she, she Zach quells the, the threat. Saga, everybody. Quote no, no, no. Quote um, it. Okay. We'll get, we'll get to this in a second. But okay. I, I want to finish. Phoenix, like, stops the threat. She, you know, contains the crystal. Everything's fine. The, um... What happens to Dakon? Does he get thrown into the sun? He gets defeated. No, no, he doesn't. He gets thrown into he the sun. die here. What? You can't just throw characters you don't like into the sun. That's not actually <laughs> that, that's, just, that's just what I'm going to say when, like, a character I had no feelings about 
Oh goes yeah, off Thor, uh, Thor punched Stillman <laughs> into the sun, guys. He's not here anymore. Yeah, yeah, Captain Marvel didn't know what to do with Rick Jones anymore. Threw him into the sun. (laughs) Um, Yo, Rick Rick should wish he got thrown into the sun after Immortal Hulk, you know what I'm saying? The detail detail of um, Corsair... Corsair makes Jean Grey promise that she's not going to tell Cyclops that he's his father. Mm -hmm. And that is dumb, because why would... That's just... That's a very old, tired, dramatic trope of just, like, promise me, and then good characters will always say like okay yes of course i promise and now it's just this like kind of fakey fake tension that like gene gray is like what if scott finds out that i never told him and i knew so, so here's it's the thing like, why is it tired where what where is it tired from okay maybe maybe it's not tired it is i don't know that's logical that right now it doesn't it doesn't make sense right like maybe, maybe that's what i mean it doesn't make sense then and it doesn't make sense now and it's like a writer's trick and they keep going to it it's like a real shortcut to drama it definitely it happens a ton in media yeah, yeah. Like, I, I hear what you're saying about it feeling tired today. E- I think the rationale tired, is essentially then then they'll question writing. why I haven't been there for them. Yeah, except, but why would Jean Grey agree to this, right? Like it, Because she's trying he, to save reality he, and it's irrelevant. <laughs> no, no, but but after the fact, she talks about this, like, in the next issue is, like, she's, you know, looking at Cyclops, like, if only he knew, that, of course, his father was out there, but unfortunately I promised a strange, you know, like, if, if you met your your wife's long-lost father, mm-hmm, and after right. 10 minutes he was like, promise me you will never tell your wife, who you love and you're spending your life with, right. that I'm their father. You wouldn't be like, All right, yeah, I guess I have to promise. Right? You'd be like, oh, no, sorry, I can't make that promise. Yeah, that's a tricky one when you put it in those terms. It's, it's just like... It, what it is, is a... Wait, hang on. Is my wife's long-lost father wearing a headband and a red long sleeve pirate shirt? Because then I'll yeah. do anything he says. <laughs> With with a look like that. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, I, I take everything back. Um, why is this called the Phoenix Saga? This is... Oh, BT Dubs, like... the universe was saved. BT Dubs. Yeah, why is it called the Phoenix know. Saga? Um, I, I mean, it's kind of not, right? Like, there's more to this. We've already seen Jean get her Phoenix power, but this is where we see the foolish manifestation of Phoenix powers uh, yeah. defeat something that is supersized and universe destroying i mean the phoenix saga essentially like extends through x-men you know i don't know like 137 or something yeah, you know what right, i mean right, like it's right. there's a whole lot of stuff that happens here um but i this think this is very like you know the biggest part i think chris claremont is a good writer who generally like the the things that shine through this are like the characters shine their their voices shine through and you generally like get the stakes and what is important like you can pull all that out but there's just like a lot of static otherwise well what do you mean me, by that right i mean like the 22 characters that are introduced in this issue right like most I, of them don't the, matter that's kind of like, just the that's kind of just the shiar imperial guard though well then why don't why not do just like the shiar imperial guard and have them just be like a bunch of you know a big army of faceless soldiers well that's kind of like, their whole thing that's kind of their whole thing is like multitudes of them there's tons of them, and they really aren't ever meant to be, like, pulled out one by one. I mean, if you came away from this, like, the only Shi'ar Imperial Guard guy I remember the name of is Gladiator. Gladiator, I'd be yeah. like, that's normal, right? And then later, they'll get maybe flushed out a little bit here and there, but generally speaking, I think it's a combination they're somewhat of that ambiguous. In that the art is, uh, the art's, like, way too crowded for me, especially Dave Cockrum. Like, I, I like his design. I think, like, individually, those characters look good. I think the way he lays out the panels are really bad compared with john byrne later we get in john byrne like 
really sets the location. There was a point where we were almost done with the Shi'ar, um, the stuff on the Shi'ar planet, and I was just like, where is this happening? Is this in a city? Is it in a desert? Am I on a moon? Like, I don't know what this location is, because we never really see it from any kind of, like, distance. Like, it is always just... I mean, we, we've talked about this a million times, and this, maybe this just grates on me more than most, but, like, that thing where you are just zoomed in on characters, 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 and it's six panels all zoomed in on, like, four characters pop, jammed into one panel, and it's just, like, it's not easy to read, right? Like, these should have a flow, these should... That's interesting, because know. I actually prefer the Cockrum issues to Burns' first issue, at least, in 108. I actually genuinely yeah, I... really like the Cockrum issues, and then when the Burn comes in in 108, I actually didn't like it quite as much. Now, I am not going to dismerge the work of, of John Byrne on Uncanny X-Men. He's going to do some really incredible things alongside He is. I, I, I agree. I like John Byrne a lot, but you're right. That first issue of X-Men with him is not... I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's really like, oh, indicative of how on good the scene. He's Holy get. cow. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's Uncanny X-Men. It's a huge story. Sell me on 109 and why it should be on the list. Well, okay, so... I mean, and I don't want to come across like I hated this. Like, I think this is a B. Too late. You know? Like, I, I think this is shirt. like... A 7.5 out of 10. Maybe an 8. Like, I think it's okay. Maybe a 7.5. Okay. Um, you heard it here, My Marvelous Year Club. Let's act know what you think yeah. of him. But what would you rate Zach? <laughs> well, don't <laughs> sick people on me. They're already going to be mad at me because <laughs> I'm not, like, worshipping these X-Men issues. Uh, 109, I think, is really good because it leans into all the things Chris Claremont is good at, which is the... The melodrama of all these characters bouncing off one another. So 109 is the issue where they all come back, and they spend, I think, about half this issue, like, just walking around the mansion, like, oh, just a second, I have neighbors stomping up the stairs right above Oh, me. I know why you love this issue. Why? It's the it's the debut of Weapon Alpha. Yeah, AKA well, Alpha No, we're going to get into that. Oh, I'm, my goodness. I'm furious. No, you no, that, that's, not why I, that's not why I like it. Uh <laughs> That's no, the I'm the biggest I, Alpha Flight fan I've ever met. Yeah, I'm so mad that you like you didn't it, it, put no the No wonder the, you're super into this. The beginning of No. Oh. This issue has tons and tons of character building. The first half is just about like all of them reacting to what just happened like in the X Mansion, no superheroics, just like That's probably know, my favorite, relationship my favorite stuff. X-Men stuff. Yeah. And exactly, that's what Claremont is so good at and when he finds that balance where he can like weave the you know the teen drama with the big epic you know like life or death stuff i think that's where he really shines mm -hmm. and i think it just tilted way too much into like non-stop action the last four issues or so yeah yeah um it's one a, it's i think 109 is like a must read and i mean the rest you should read all these like like i said like i i read these i'm gonna read every x-men like i'm enjoying this i just uh had some you know had some complaints it's my job. Criticisms. Gotta complain. Criticisms. Unbelievable. Yeah, no, I, I hear yeah. where you're coming from. All right, yeah, cool. 109's so great, uh, and also it is... Oh, you know what? Also, 109 is the first issue where I'm like, this is the Wolverine I know. Like, this is the Wolverine where I hmm. get he's not, like, a full-on psychopath who's ready to just kill his teammates at the drop of a hat. Well, and like, Cyclops he... even calls him on that in the during 104 to 108, where he's like, yeah. stop this yeah, routine yeah. of the mad berserker killing machine. Like, basically like, yep. calling him out, like, dude, you're putting on an act, and it sucks. And it, it does seem like he starts to walk it back a bit from there. Yeah, yeah, there's some really good stuff with him and, um, and Storm in the next one. Uh, and then, also, it starts out with a game of baseball that's very fun. So, 
that definitely is definitely worth reading. That is an X Men trope. That is one of the greats. It's really good. Yeah, it's really one fun. of the greats. And it is. Oh, and you also get to learn Wolverine's true name because the uh, the Alpha Flight guy says it finally. You know, somebody asked me on the Comic Book Girl Facebook page not too long ago, what character in the Marvel Universe do you think would be the best at baseball? And I picked Colossus because they play so often and he's so Mm -hmm. strong. I just figured, if I'm going to put a cleanup hitter, it's probably Colossus. Yeah, they talk about how he's just been getting home run after home run. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jean Grey on the baseball field just uses her telekinetic powers to, like, grab the baseball out of the air and teleport it to her glove. Which yeah, is like, right. Like, if you're truly going to be like, well, who's little... just going to use their powers and sort of, like... <laughs> a little cheap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think if you're talking just pure, like, hand-eye strength... But I'm then uh, Peter gets Peter. The, Peter gets the ball and tries to tag out Wolverine, and Wolverine's claws come out, you know? So, like, <laughs> they're... Uh, yeah, that's a good joke. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's move into Iron Fist. Which let's is, take a again, more... short break, and I'm going to get some drank, and then let's continue. Ugh. What? You don't like that? Oh, just you saying drank. Yeah, yeah. It's going like to be it. real slurpy. <laughs> okay. Is that what the let's kids see say? In a minute. All right. Hey, yeah, I'm only a 25-minute walk from my Airbnb to the uh, Union Station. I'm, like, literally across the street from a Hooters. Uh, oh, I, Hooters. I live at that Hooters. <laughs> That's my place. <laughs> disgusting yeah yeah I can't, I can't wait to go to chicago for the first time ever and just spend the whole time in a hooters <laughs> <laughs> that's you no try the wings, my, though? i've never been in a hooters uh that's i have once my, uh, and it was a very awkward experience for me not my scene that's what my my dad does like that's what he used to do is go to uh like he would travel around the country and then just find an applebee's <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah just, just absolutely baffling to me like yeah yeah, just like we live in Maine, but oh yeah, I'm gonna go down down south, right? All this different cuisine, and then I'm just gonna find a TGA Fridays to eat at. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so where were we? So let's get into Iron Fist eleven to fifteen. This yep. is also Claremont and Burn, which is frankly yep. why it's on the list. Uh, now this was an addition to the 77 list this go round. I didn't have it on the first time. And I, I've mentioned a few times, I'm very fascinated by late 70s Chris Claremont written issues. These ones I find particularly fascinating because it's Claremont and Byrne working together in a storytelling capacity before they became, you know, the the most celebrated X-Men comics partnership in history, I think. What sure. did yeah. you think of, of these five issues? And uh, yeah, what did you think of them first? No, what, why don't you go first? I feel like I've been I've had to give my hot takes a little sure. too much. I want I think I want they're fine. Start. I think they're generally good. Okay. I think there's some stuff that the things that I like are I like that this is kind of a Marvel Universe cameo circuit. You know, it's like Iron Fist going through the Wrecking Crew, Iron Fist going through the Avengers, and then ultimately building up to Iron Fist. Uh, well, first off, introducing Sabretooth, which is kind of fascinating. Sabretooth's yeah, first issue, Iron Fist number 14. Grab it at a con. It's worth a few bucks. Um, but then uh, issue 15, he meets the Uncanny X-Men. And at that point, we're in full-on Uncanny territory. The, the thing I really like is Claremont, in particular as a writer building up Misty Knight as a supporting character, building up Colleen Wing as supporting characters, and then taking those characters with him into the pages of Uncanny, where Misty yeah, is sure. like Jean Grey's roommate. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. builds these characters into really compelling pieces of the Marvel U. They're also like going to come with his own with little, him. like, Claremont corner of the Marvel Universe, right? His, like, yeah, yeah, which I think is cool. I, yeah, I think it's yeah, a nice addition. 
I don't have any, like, actual... I don't know. I don't have any big complaints about this. I didn't enjoy reading 11 through 14, particularly. Like, Mm -hmm. but not... I just think, like, they are just superhero comics. Like, the most generic version of that you can find. Like, not bad, but also nothing stood out to me. I think they're a little better than generic. I I think because of the creative team. I think Claremont and Byrne elevate these a little bit. Like, I think Byrne's doing some cool stuff with Iron Fist action in a way that the series wasn't quite hitting. Before I mean, I think time. I think these read easier than the Uncanny X Men we were reading. I think these like are cleaner and uh, like generally easier, laid out easier a little just better in the sense of like I know exactly what's happening and I am following this plot. Not the plot necessarily, because I don't I don't think the plot in Uncanny X Men was confusing, but like the page layout I don't think was doing it any favors. Whereas here, I feel like he's in total control, and it's just like it's very easy to like you know you could just sweep your eyes over the six panels and be like ah yep. I get what ha- I get. What's happening here? Part of that is there's one character to follow instead of you know six. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's yeah, no, there's the, the, I think everyone is doing perfectly fine work here. I think it has no voice of its own. I think that's the biggest issue for me. Hmm. The issue that really worked is 15, where the X Men come in because it's like, oh, here's like a little verve because clearly he knows the X Men and he knows how to like give them a, a you know a strong. A st- Strong, distinctive voice. Eleven. Iron 14, Fist fifteen like... is the clear standout because of the yeah. X Men connections. Um, where it, where it is, you can make a case for that being the only one to include here. Uh, part of, part of including eleven through fifteen for me was just like we're not we're not going to come back to Iron Fist a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely not as a solo character. Like we're going to do a little more Power Man and Iron Fist together type stuff as we move forward. But I was I was pretty curious to explore this sort of corner of the Marvel verse a little more extensively. I, I think you're right. They didn't stand out for me in tremendous ways. I think the debut of Sabretooth in issue 14 is a good example of these having those little seeds building, but not being what we expect of them. Like Sabretooth, as he's introduced here is, is generic bad guy, you know? Yeah. Like he's not, he's not this like monstrous, hateful, can't take your eyes off him. Arch nemesis of Wolverine, obviously that we know he's going to become, um, but he's like he's still mildly interesting as a yeah. as a villain, yeah. but he's also a little more generic. I think to your point not, about not having a voice, think of Master of Kung Fu and the clear exactly. voice and that, tone that that has, and then look right, at Iron like Fist. that. That feel that's what I'm saying when I say generic. Like, yeah, I, I guess I don't mean in quality. I just mean in like it just feels very much like what your mom would think a superhero comic is, <laughs> you know, and just like oh yeah, it's just uh, some guys who punch each other, and there's nothing like that really makes this stand out from anything else like this it just it it feels like you could swap captain america for danny rand here yeah and like maybe just change the specific details of like you know who he interacts with or whatever Mm -hmm. but basically it would be the same exact comic like this feels like a very generic captain america comic or i don't know like i guess not thor but whatever like yeah, yeah, that, that that's what I mean. It doesn't. Ha- yeah, Masters of Kung it's a, Fu. It's a very like, Marvel oh, Universe this, like, comic. It's got this middle mysticism. of the road. Yeah, yeah, it's got like Masters of Kung Fu. It's like Shang Chi. You've got uh, Fu Manchu. This kind of like mysticism thing. This like darkness running through it. But also you have all this spycraft stuff, and it's like this really interesting blend of the two. Yeah, Danny Rand just left no impression. Honestly, I read this this morning last night. I forgot Sabretooth was in this. Like, I have it written down, but, like, you said that, and I was like, oh, right, oh, right, right, that's right. Like, this left no impression on me. If it wasn't uh, his the first old... appearance, I don't know that it would be majorly notable. I do think, no, let's talk about no. issue 15 a little bit, because it's definitely the best of the bunch, or at least the most yeah. 
memorable. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot I like here. I'm actually going to skip ahead past the X Men stuff to say there's a there's a basically throughout these issues, Danny Rand and Misty Knight break up. They're romantic partners. They kind of break up, and then Misty she goes on like a oh um, no actually they, they break up. We need to talk about why they break up. They break up because Danny Rand is forgiving a a, a reformed IRA bomber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just like. Oh, yeah, he's a freedom fighter, but, you know, he feels bad about what he did. And Misty Knight is just like, I can't be with somebody who, you know, is fine with what he did. And it's like some secondary character that I don't know what he, what part he plays. But it's, it's Kavanaugh, like, right? Because he's a running I don't, he's a running name yeah, through this. I don't, I, I I don't forget know. his connections exactly, but, yeah, he's a running supporting character. Yeah, it's a very, very specific thing. It's not yes. like some character-driven thing that splits the two of them. It's very much just like, I'm friends with an, you know, ex-IRA member. Yeah. And she's just like, I don't like that. Yeah. And they break up. And then Misty goes on a mission to get some info from another first appearance, Bushmaster, who is sort of this criminal mastermind. And what we learn in the very end of this issue is Misty has gotten herself romantically uh, entwined with Bushmaster. And there's a scene of her kissing him and crying at the same time, which is uh, quite gross and kind of sad. Uh, but it shows, I guess, the lengths the Misty Knight will go to 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 solve a case. Um, so she's doing her, her I own forgot thing, about this already. Like, I just Googled it and found that page. And like, oh, yeah, here it is. You're right. Like, that page in that moment stood out to me. But like Bushmaster, I forgot entirely. Like this. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever reason, this just didn't. Uh, Have you ever seen Finding Dory? Yeah. Oh, no reason. Uh, so the rest of the issue is Danny fighting the X-Men. And uh, there's some good moments here, especially when <laughs> I really like the scene where Iron Fist kicks Wolverine out of a window. And yeah, he's yeah, like, Wolverine oh, my gosh, I very... killed him. Wolverine is falling to the earth. And I'm like, oh, this is where we're going to get the healing factor thing. Nope. Nightcrawler transports and, and teleports and saves him. So we yeah. still don't know. Wolverine also bursts through the wall because Dan- Danny Rand is at Misty Knight's house, right, as a friend. Her apartment. Uh, Mis- Misty Knight lives with gene gray and the x-men like see him there and it's just like it's just one of these misunderstanding things that's kind of silly but wolverine bursts through the wall and just says like you're in my girl's apartment which is like pretty bold of him to say bold uh, claim definitely... for someone you're not dating yep, i always who's, say who, who is explicitly dating cyclops at the moment yes. right? like it's not yes. even like a love triangle like she is dating cyclops yeah um also, he's still wearing the suit that he got from the Shi'ar. His clothes got burned off I in love the Shi'ar detail. fight, Uncanny X-Men. And he's wearing this ridiculous, like, Craven the Hunter outfit, which yeah. I read them out of order, right? I have to go change this on the uh, the spreadsheet so that people also get this the right way. But, like, he shows up wearing that really ridiculous outfit. And later, in 109, you see him, like, get changed again. And he's, like, all happy to be back in his normal clothes. Okay, so officially... Iron Fist 15 in between Uncanny 108 and 109, uh, given yeah, the Wolverine so. costume. But yeah, it's a uh, the, the there's another nice scene actually, kind of played for comedy, where somehow Storm gets a pie in the face, like a literal pie in the face, while Colossus, no, Nightcrawler, it, Wolverine, and Iron Fist like are fighting. Pasta salad, a dish in the face. Is that what it is? Yeah, is it, it's like salad? yeah, it's a bunch of mayonnaise. I, I just remember it being mayonnaise based. But like, she yes, it's very funny because like all the boys are fighting. 
like with Danny Rand, right? And then this like pasta salad or whatever hits her in the face, and it's like they're all just like, oh, oh, uh, they know what's coming. We should all be worried now, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's very funny. Like you just, uh, you know, you just threw something. The the siblings are fighting, but you just hit mom with a uh, well pasta salad in the face. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, it it it's pretty funny. Yeah. So that's the best of the bunch. I mean, I think yeah, if you're if you're strapped for time. Iron Fist 11 to 15, you could probably just do 15, and I think would be the most interesting, especially in relation to what's happening in Uncanny X-Men. Um, but yep. to me, again, it's still very, it's very interesting to me, these idea, the idea of these other runs. Because this one's go- also like building towards these characters being relevant, and also kind of the series that's going to be the, the new ongoing, which is Power Man and Iron Fist moving forward. Yeah, I'm excited to see that, because Danny Rand leaves zero impression on me right now, but maybe a dynamic between him and Luke Cage would work. Like, he's pretty generic right now. Like, even his power set doesn't, like, shine through, right? Like, I feel like he's just... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, so that leads us into Amazing Spider-Man. You have a note here that you wrote in the spreadsheet, and you wrote, The Punisher's back in town, and he's straight pun-ishing. Mm-hmm. What is you get What it? is the joke, Dave? Will you explain this joke for me? So, the Punisher yes. makes some good puns. Oh, he makes comment. puns. Okay, I and wasn't he sure is straight if you were pun ishing. That's why it's all caps on the word pun. No, no, no. I got that. I mean, I got that you were calling it a pun, but I kind of thought you were saying like I'm making a pun by saying that he's the pun isher. Wow. And you were like calling out the pun that you were making with that pun. That is and a mind blowing, like, mind blowing like attempt at punnery. A pun, a pun to, or to call or out or your s- own pun. As it's Isaac, happening. Isaac, you're working on a level that I can't even... I can't. No, no, understand. I hated it. I hated it. So I wanted to make sure that's not what you were doing. Yeah. No, I'm talking about uh, Punisher making jokes. Because oh, in this comic, he makes jokes. <laughs> like, let's swing he on over or something to that effect. He also kills a lot of people. He's also very brazenly wielding uh, deadly weapons. And, yeah. and way less remorse or sort of code than we saw in maybe his first appearances where he was like... You know, or we can't any. kill Spider-Man behind his back. Now he's just like, let it fly, baby. And, yeah, or uh, anything. And see what like, happens. We've never seen a hero kill somebody like this. And he's just like mowing down the henchmen, right? Well, like, and let's also, you know, you've, you joked in the 60s about like Rawhide Kid and the way they yeah, show, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like gun <laughs> action or whatever. Ooh, um, my elbow. <laughs> yeah, we are past that. We are past that here in night. Oh, he just, yeah, he just opens up fire on a bunch of henchmen. Well, the thing is, like, I mean, it makes sense for Spider-Man not to be doing that. But, like, I was a little surprised that Spider-Man was not, uh, you know, more upset about this or, like, calling him out. Um, he doesn't. It is interesting to tell. I, I actually like these two issues a fair amount. Um, yeah, I do. Amazing too. Spider-Man 174 to 175. It's a Punisher and Spider-Man story where they're both trying to effectively capture this guy called the Hitman, uh, who's working yep. at the behest of a like a terrorist organization. Um, yep. Their plan by the end of 175 is to, I think, blow up the Statue of Liberty. And no, throw Joe. No, throw J. Jonah Jameson off the top of the Statue of Liberty. Is that is there all a it bomb is? involved too? Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a bomb. But I, I thought it was literally just tossing J. Why would they have J. to be J. on the J. Statue off. of Liberty to, to do that? I don't know. I kind of tried to figure that out because I was like, did I miss something? Is this just symbolic? I think they were just doing it for like to, to be, you know, that like, to make a point. That is some heavy symbolism if that's what that is. I think there's yeah, more to it. Yeah. It's been a minute since okay. I read them. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. But either way, I think you're right calling out like Peter Parker seems like the sort of character like Matt Murdock, uh, like, like Steve Rogers, who should call out the Punisher. And it should be like, hey, 
stop killing people. That's not how we do things, you know, and treating him yeah. as yeah, yeah. dangerous or as bad as the criminals they're trying to apprehend. You don't really get that in these two issues. I think no, um, not at all. it moves at a pace where I don't I don't know that we get a ton of like Spidey standing idly by while that's happening. You know, because he's like no, he's like he's fighting on the ropes him. throughout this saga. So I don't I don't know that it's necessarily like something he is super witness to. But if it is, you're right to call that out. I think that that's a little out of character, maybe for Peter Parker. Eh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't really care. I was just a little surprised. It did, it didn't really bother me because it felt urgent <laughs> you enough. Can, you can care. But, it's okay to care, Zach. No, no. I I mean, I honestly don't like. I don't. I don't get. I mean. I don't get hung up on all that nerd stuff. You know? Oh boy! Oh boy! He's <laughs> talking down comics again. <laughs> no, right I, on I, the pod. Uh, I I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know. I it felt urgent enough, right? It feels like he would be like, yeah, someone's about to kill JJJ. I'm getting the help. I might not want to kill somebody, but like these are bad guys with guns. Like the guy I'm with has a gun. I don't know. It, it didn't. It didn't strike me as wild. It's not really a character. conversation he's having. I mean, I it, think. it's not like Batman where this is like a step. His established ethos. Right, where like he, he is. I mean, Spider Man does not have this like very solid rule of like we do not kill that is explicitly said. So eh, I don't know. It, it was fine. Um, I think this is a good issue. These are two good issues, and this is kind of like it's hard to judge against Uncanny X Men. I think the goals of this these two issues are much more modest yeah. than X Men. Right? I think like it is trying to tell a smaller story. It's trying to tell like a much simpler story. But I think it is way more successful at the kind of story it's trying to tell. That, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to say with Uncanny X-Men, is I think it's trying to tell this, like, big, grand story, yes. and I don't think it is quite hitting the beats, right? Like, Jim mm. Starlin tries to tell the same story, and I think he lands it. Like, he just lands it. And I don't think those Uncanny I don't, X-Men do. I don't like these Uncanny issues as much as as Starlin's Thanos saga. I mean, I, Well, I the think thing is, like... It, it, I'd agree there. I, th- I think it is... I mean, you know, it's a different conversation to be had, like, which I like more, right? Um, but I think it's a good question to ask. This is something I try to approach with the comics of, like, what are they trying to do and why, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are they trying to tell some, like, big groundbreaking story or are they trying to tell, like, a new fresh Spider-Man story? Right. Right? Like, does it have to break new ground or does <laughs> it just have to? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, because this doesn't. This doesn't really yeah. push. I mean, this maybe pushes their relationship forward a little bit. But besides that, like, the hitman's kind of forgettable. But he's effective in this moment and in this mode. And well, I think you know works, what actually like, makes him the most effective to me is they connect him to the Punisher in his past <laughs> where they show Frank back in Vietnam and the hitman yeah, yeah, yeah. was somebody he knew there. Uh, I believe the hitman saved Frank's life. Saves his life, yep. In Vietnam. Okay, so... <laughs> says, you know, you owe me one or whatever. So they know so each I other, missed... which helps. This There's a moment where, you know, Spider-Man and the Punisher are together trying to, like, save JJJ from the hitman. And Punisher says something like, yeah, I've got a history with the guy. And then he, there's a flashback to him in Vietnam. Yeah. And I, I must have skimmed it or missed, like, the key thing there because when he said he has a history with him i read it as that he had a history with jjj yeah and that jjj and him were in vietnam together and i was just getting ready to get like so angry on the show that they were gonna be like they were gonna like i don't really i just said i don't really care about retcons and continuity like that would have been a, a weird bi- one in a big way but if they were just like yes you know like six years ago jjj was in vietnam war <laughs> Saving the Punisher. Yeah. That, uh, 
Yeah, that that would have been really funny. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, otherwise, it's a else. it's a story we've seen a bunch, which is Spidey saves JJJ, and it's still yeah. not enough to to bring him around to his side. I think you do get him. He at least has a thought bubble. He has a moment like, of like, yeah, am why I, would you he know, be saving me? If, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know that goes away. But yeah, no, it's good. These are good, uh, good solid Spideys. I he, like uh, these more than I expected to on a reread. Yeah. Um, I yeah, think yeah. the Punisher is getting. I think he's getting a little more interesting on his own terms as we I mean, as we progress. Oh, we get his we get his war journal, which is interesting. Like yes. a Spider-Man comic that like switches perspectives, and the perspective we get is like the narration from the Punisher. Yeah. Um. And he, I mean, th- this is the first time I feel like the Punisher has been. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's killing people. This is the first time it felt like, oh, this is the Punisher, right? Like we see him at work doing his doing his dirty deeds. Yeah. Done dirt cheap, and he. Uh, I lost track of the thought. Nope, that's the chorus. That. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, all I, he, added. I mean, he he finds a like he unmasks one of these terrorists, and it's a woman, and then it like cuts away as it is implied that he tortures her for information, right? Like, yeah, it is. It's getting dark, and the Punisher is a dark character, and this is like an interesting foil to everyone else in the Marvel universe. Yeah, I do feel of, like there's you know, probably well, goody two shoes. Yeah, I feel like there's probably more to the actual terrorist organization here because it's the it's the People Liberation People's Liberation Front. Front. Yeah, which yeah. I actually looked up after the fact. Um, oh, it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, well, how real is this, or what specifically are they going for? There's probably a lot more to that that, frankly, I just do not have. They didn't really get of. into any kind of like, um, you know, ideal ideals about that, mm-hmm. right? So I, I kind of was just like, oh, okay, they're just using it as shorthand. I mean, that that's mostly like, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of like um, <sighs> Southeast Asian and African terrorist groups, political groups. Maybe I shouldn't call them terrorists. I don't actually know know that much about them. But um, yeah, I think they're just using it as shorthand for terrorist, um, for good or bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, wait, there's one other thing I was going to say about Spidey. Oh, it's that I like him. I like a like a Spider Man. So let's, uh, let's check. Let's go on. Spider Man, like or not, we like him. Check. We like we like a Spider Man. Do we Spider like Woman. Spider Woman? Uh, the origins in Marvel Spotlight number thirty two. Here's the this thing is a wild I like origin. about Spider Woman. This is a wild. Her origin. name is Arachne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's what. That's the only thing you like. Yeah. So her yeah. real name is Jessica Drew. This is a, um, you yeah, know, yeah, I, know, I have to yeah. say my familiarity with Spider Woman stems primarily from the 2000s and she became she joins a squad known as the new avengers and that's when spider woman really came back into prominence in like the modern marvel era and i was surprised to find in marvel spotlight 32 how much of the spider woman character that i know is actually kind of already here oh really (laughs) from jump yeah i I actually thought thought a lot of that stuff got kind of added retroactively Hmm. Uh, yeah that's uh, interesting i i kind of thought it was a very bad origin (laughs) <laughs> um, i would not say very bad i don't think it's a knockout issue so well, much the, there's interesting ideas okay i uh, i shouldn't i shouldn't say it's bad i think well, it you is you can if that's what you think i just no i agree I, yeah no no i, I mean <laughs> i'm fine disagreeing with you clearly um mm. yeah no i think uh it they're getting to the stage where like the word origin right packs a punch right they know that that means something that fans yeah. like fans like origins now 
right? Like, I feel like th- this is something interesting you could dissect is like in 1962, the origin of the Fantastic Four, the origin of Spider-Man, the origin of blah, 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 whatever, didn't mean as much, right? The origin of these characters didn't mean quite so much on a like level of, oh, this is going to matter, right? This is going to matter for the character for decades because they didn't know that these characters lasted for decades. These are like, you know, we're going to do one of these comics. We're going to do six of these comics, whatever, like they had done through the whole golden age. Sure. Um, and I think the best origins are clearly the ones that, like, all points of the origin point back to the character, right? Like, you have the character, their motivation, their personality, their powers, how they got their powers, all, like, pointing to one another, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. In ter- So, like, a good origin issue for you is everything connects and is additive to the whole so that you can go back to that well and that's kind of like that's your source sure. point yeah for, and for the, the thing that like magneto being a holocaust survivor right like that is a incredible origin for him it's a retroactive once they start origin. Le- exactly and i think that's what happens a lot of times is retroactively they kind of like put this veneer or the, you know they find out they like some author finds that interesting angle and adds it in later yeah but like magneto doing that is fascinating and it adds to like everything about his character and it just like makes makes him i don't know just like so fuels everything about his his uh philosophy and his attitude and etc yeah um spider woman's is that she you was know, created by the high... wild take actually huh. is if somebody came onto the scene with a little bit of a little bit of like you know public uh public attention and was like magneto always worked best as a character before they declared the complexity of his Holocaust origins, like as a straight up supervillain. Like what an insanely, uh, is there a less generally accepted claim than Magneto improved as a character post complexity, post nuance of that retcon? Um, I mean, probably Logan, right? Like everyone loves his origins and everyone loved to learn what happened to him and now you're talking about the literal series origin in the early 2000s and how how universally beloved that is oh no i'm talking about what is it x-men origins wolverine the movie oh you're talking specifically <laughs> cinema no i was i was talking that. about yeah, the comic yeah, yeah. series no isn't there I, I haven't read it but like isn't the series that says like this is the history of logan you know from a child onward isn't that like pretty universally maligned it's As called like, origin yeah yeah okay <laughs> uh i yeah. i don't know about universally but i would say i don't like it um co-written yeah, okay. by our guy bill Jameis. <laughs> more Did like you know butt, butt Jameis. <laughs> oh burn baby burn love it yeah, yeah. uh yeah um, anyway um that i just think it'd be really funny if if you were like yeah so origins you know magneto got complexity and i was like <laughs> oh hate it Loved i like magneto better him. when he just uh liked to blow up stuff in that he just didn't like the x-men okay so jessica drew gets her powers because the high evolutionary who we've met in like thor comics and x-men comics Mm -hmm. and adam warlock comics messes with animal dna and people and infused her with spider dna or whatever and gave her the powers of venom blasts little kind of just seems like she gets to do little shocks out of her fingers and she can climb walls right a la cj the backup general later Exactly. A little yeah, uh, intellectual play... property theft from Marvel yep. here. From Marvel. Or no, Marvel did it to us. That's that's what I want to say. Yeah, from Marvel um, to us. Yep. She also then immediately was recruited by Hydra, who tricked her into thinking that they were like a benevolent organization, and fell in love with someone named... 
Brad. I'm making that up, but it's definitely You're close. Brad. It's Jared. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know it was just kind of a <laughs> generic, like... Hey. Jared's a big player. I'm Jared. In the Marvel yeah. Universe. No. No. What? <laughs> All right. You said okay. that one. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. He, she Hang falls on. In let's love go back to a detail guy, there that you Jared. just said. The recruitment by Hydra and their sort of game <laughs> yeah. about tricking her and sort of conning her into actually were the good guys is really interesting to me. That, and that, you know what? that okay, idea so gets this... played with a bunch. I am being a little fussy saying this is a bad origin. I think this is a decent comic. I think it's a bad origin because I can't see where, like, I was created by Evolutionary and I was tricked into tricked by Hydra into thinking that they were good and my boyfriend was really paid to smooch me and I, I got to watch a video of happens. him killing some children <laughs> and it, you know, shook up my whole worldview. It's like, I, I don't know. So Nick there's, Fury... I think actually, I think actually what you're describing is something that I kind of agree with. So first off, the story's by Archie Goodwin and Sal Buscemi. So <laughs> don't the, sound so surprised. They're the co-creators <laughs> here. Well, I'm shocked that there's a, a kernel of something I would agree with coming from you. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. no, there's, there's two halves to this origin, right? It's a tale of two stories. One is a spy shield versus Hydra story that I think Spider-Woman Jessica Drew fits into very intriguingly. The second mm-hmm. part of it is the weird high evolutionary stuff and Hydra confusing and potentially saying, actually, Jessica, you were straight up made from a spider. You were an actual spider that the high evolutionary turned into a person. And that stuff's wild. And that's oh, why sci-fi miss- doesn't fit as well. I missed that. Wait, so she's... Oh my I gosh, it's was, crazy. I thought she so was when like she, when a she woman who got like infused with spider. No, no, that's that's probably what actually happened. But when she uncovers that, like, okay, Jared is not who I thought he was. And oh no, she, I, I just got to point out was. how that happens. She's in the middle of a fight on a Hydra base, and mm-hmm. someone like gets knocked backwards into a TV, and the TV just goes like and turns on, and it's just a video of like <laughs> her boyfriend holding a child hostage and like opening fire into a crowd. She's I think she's like, actually fighting Nick Fury when that happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Video, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but I like that that was just queued up on the TV. <laughs> Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So her father figure in Hydra, I think his name is Otto Verklempt, let's say. It's something like that. And uh, yeah. he he tells her, like, oh, you think Hydra's evil? Well, guess what? You don't even know your real origin. Why do you think your name's Arachne? Like, after some high evolutionary talk. <laughs> and she's like, what? Yeah. I'm a spider? <laughs> it's crazy. It's, like, really dark uh, psychological sort of. I don't know, not torture, but misinformation. Um, it's yeah, probably yeah, not yeah. true. Probably she wasn't ever a spider. But it's a weird thing to tell somebody. Anyway, Arachne, Spider-Woman, she's kind of like, am I S.H.I.E.L.D., am I Hydra? And that's actually the sticking point that I think is interesting for her is like, which side of the line does she fall on? You know, yeah. uh, based yeah, on maybe, this strange origin. Maybe this will turn had. into a thing and like that will become more interesting. right? But I was just like, is this a spy thing? Is she like going to go on to become a spy comic? Because that seems strange, but maybe she has that. She has that ability. It is a part of her foundation. I think uh, her solo series is going to lean more into the PI space, uh, okay. which I am intrigued by. Although yeah, I have to say, it's another series I've never found a, a real clear entry point into. Okay, uh, can I just I, on Wikipedia? Um, <laughs> in her first appearance, Spider Woman was to be an actual spider evolved into a human, as imagined by writer co-creator Goodwin. Her debut was shortly followed by a four-issue story arc in Marvel 2-in-1 in which Wolfman presented a different origin retcon as he felt her original origin was too implausible for mid-1970s readers. <laughs> so, uh, you were right. Yeah, Instant I guess you were retcon. Right. Yeah, that's Always pretty the funny sign that... of a cool idea, I think. Yeah, yeah, yep. 
Okay, so yeah, I, I like this fine. This is interesting. Um, I would like it if Spider-Woman became a cool character, but I guess that's not going to happen for 25, well, 30 in, years. You're going to love it in, yeah, in uh, 25 years. Cool. Okay. Uh, what I don't love is Supervillain Team-Up, Dave. Supervillain Team-Up, baby. This is I, issues I like 10 to 12, Doctor Doom versus the Red Skull. Supervillain Team-Up is a Doctor Doom and somebody team up I'd book say, boy oh, do i that, boy does it sound like it should be better than it actually winds up being oh all, you know what always lets you me just down changed just my mind bit. entirely on this by describing what it is did you even read yeah it? What do you mean? yeah yeah no i don't read the comics uh yeah, no okay so did. marvel what is it uh villain team up super mm-hmm. villain team up i assumed going into this that it was going to be dr doom and the red skull teaming up yes right but it's Doctor Doom versus the Red Skull. So th- throughout this entire thing, I was just like, what the hell? I've been lied to. Like, there's no villain team up here. You wanted them to work together? I love that they're not working together. I no, love I mean, that the Red Skull's the villain, uh, that all the other villains are like, actually, screw this guy. He sucks. We're going to fight again. Well, I'd rather fight with the Avengers, is what Doctor Doom says, yeah, than fight yeah, yeah. with the Red Skull. Oh, I mean, okay, so I, I honestly, I swear to God, I didn't get the concept that this was like a Doctor Doom Captain America. Like I understood that they were teaming up. Like I read the comic, I got that, but I didn't get that like that was the team up of the title, right? That it's sure. Doctor Doom teaming up with people. I was like waiting for like, oh well they lied to me because villains aren't teaming up here, which yeah. is what I was expecting. So um, frequently frequently what the title is is actually more often than not, it's Doom and Namor teaming up. Yeah, I, um, I saw that. There's a lot of history here. Like, they mm-hmm. they keep flashing back to, like, Doom and Namor teaming up. And mostly Doom, like, tricking Namor into working with him, which is like... Yeah. That is that is Namor.txt, is uh, just <laughs> Namor being fooled into, like, you know, working for the bad guys over and over again. Totally, totally. And, and so, in theory, because it's... It feels like, basically, like, oh, this is the secret 70s Doctor Doom book that I always wanted. It's a little disappointing, yeah. I yeah. think, in that regard. There's some wild like oh this is it's just never the best doom stuff you know um we've definitely read better doom in the pages of uh what was it astonishing tales in the early 70s and, and obviously yes, some of the fantastic yes, yes, yes. Four where stuff. he had like his own little solo thing next to like kazar or something yeah right yeah some of those um, some of those were really fun one of those was actually a doctor doom i'm gonna find it so i can recommend it because one of those was a doctor doom versus red skull thing that was much better astonishing tales number four through five Ooh. from 1971 which you. i think you Pulling will have to go deep cuts well I, ha- I have it written down but uh you'll have to go outside marvel unlimited it's not on there but it is worth like googling for this because doctor doom goes on vacation and while he's on vacation red skull takes over latveria and then, like, the entire first issue is just Doctor Doom on vacation, you know, uh, losing money at roulette and blasting the table with his finger gun. <laughs> uh, assassins sneaking up on him in bed while he tries to sleep in yeah. full garb. He's wearing his mask, his metal armor, and his, like, cloak and hood That's while amazing. he's sleeping in bed. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. It's much better than this, which I think is fine. I don't know. I didn't hate this. I just kind of was like, yeah, the comic book. It's goofy comic book fun in a lot of ways. Um, It doesn't sound that dissimilar from what you described in the sense that like Red Skull makes a play on taking over Latveria. Um, He's, you know, he's like, Latveria will be the the grounds of my new Nazi revolution or whatever. Literally what uh, he did in the other one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's his thing? And uh, Doom's like, hey, Avengers or hey, Captain America, you know, help me, help me stop him. And all of that builds to a Doctor Doom versus Red Skull fight on the moon. 
which is issue 11 is like Death Duel on the Moon teased on the cover. That's pretty yeah. amazing. It's Red Skull flying around in a solo jet with Doom on the ground on the moon. And it's one of the more, if you're going to say like, hey, what are some of your favorite just conceptual moments of Bronze Age 70s Marvel? It's Doctor Doom fighting the Red Skull on the moon. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so much fun. Uh, now, the actual narrative substance of this <laughs> I mean, I don't have a, mu- a ton much more to go into. Uh, yeah, guys, I mean, regard. there's also, like, there's some other guy who's dressing up as Doctor Doom. There's a guy called the Black Shroud in here that feels pretty superfluous. Uh, I mean, I oh, I love the moment where, because Doctor Doom and Captain America get shrunk down to, like, mouse-sized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Doctor Doom charges into the throne room and starts just zapping Red Skull as a tiny little, like, action figure. Yeah. Which is very, very cute and very funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm fine never reading another one of these. Yeah, uh, I think in the original club I had Supervillain Team-Up number 14 on the list, which I believe is Doctor Doom uh, and Magneto. And I think it kind of, I think it follows a similar trend where it's a Doctor Doom versus Magneto, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I, I think that's kind of the, the, the trick of all of these, or trick in quotes. It's, you know, it's like, oh, they're working together until they're not because they're villains and villains can't get along, you know? Yeah, um, right. It's, again, like, it's an idea of a book that I wish... I loved, or I feel like I should love, but I don't. And, well, you know, uh, you know part of it is there. that they're not doing anything. It, it's kind of what we were just talking about. They're not doing much besides the con, the concept, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. it literally it's says, all, like, oh, yeah. yeah, it's two villains teaming up. That's it. Like, and it's like, well, you got to do more than that, right? You have to find some kind of, like, interesting angle. You need to find a core to that series that, like, keeps me coming back more than just, like, comic book punches. So, yeah. Um, I just want to point out, on the record... Well Odium's ahead out. of time, 1983, out, right now, you have a lot of time, because I think you've only got the list, like, written out to 1978 at this point. So 1983. Okay. Or not written, but, you know, you, you've been going through and, like, updating it and uh, revising Updated it. Updated and confirmed through 78 at the time of recording, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will be much later by the time this comes out. But, 1983, you have in your bonus round right now, Alpha Flight 1 through 5. Sure do. That Take it out of the bonus round? Might have to. You're right. Net Could be some other be. stuff we want to add Has in there. to be in the main list. You know, I, I do that. have to say, you've done... We've worked together for about a year now. Sure. And yeah. it would seem a level of cruel, comparable with the Red Skull, for me to not include Alpha Flight for you mm-hmm. on this 1983 list. That one of said, my, you're I'm, gonna not, do it. <laughs> I'm deleting it right now. Should we do this on the mic? Are we doing this on the mic, Going doing a list edit? What do you think is the most replaceable? Oh, okay. Looking at this. I'm looking at Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 16, oh, Avengers Brood number saga. 227, <sighs> Monica Rambeau is Captain Marvel. That seems kind of, kind of mean to Monica. <sighs> I mean, there's an incredibly important Avengers run this year that could go. There's a super important Fantastic Four arc that could definitely get clipped out. Uh, there's this, is a, a, this is a really tough year to move stuff. Oh, I gotta uh, tell you. you know what? I'm looking at uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange versus Dracula. Doctor really? Strange versus Dracula, round two. Round Roger two. Stern. All right, Club, Which... if you've made it this far into 1977 part two, that means you are a My Marvelous Year diehard. So first, thank you for listening. You're awesome. Second, what would you rather read in 1983's list? Alpha Flight 1 to 5 or Doctor Strange number 5? Oh, it doesn't matter. They don't get 62. a say. I want to hear Alpha from people. Flight. Okay, I, I mean, they can, I they value can tell you, their but opinions. we're reading Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight number 4, I think, is one of, like, 
my favorite comics period that we ever read in yeah. the club. I, I went and bought a floppy of it, which let is like me, the first floppy I owned. Let <laughs> me are you highlight just going to erase this. it in real time? No, no, no. I'm going to... Uh, wrong kind. Let me highlight... <laughs> <laughs> All black. It's gone. Um, okay. We'll highlight that so I remember that that is important to you and I know what to do. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, all right, bye. Episode's over. Gosh, we are so good at endings. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You know, no, I, w- I was listening to a podcast that does that, uh-huh. uh, and I just felt like, man, that must be so freeing. Uh, that, like, at the end, they're just like, all right, yeah, I think that's about time. All right, bye. Bye. Sure, sure. And then they just, pff, episode's over. It, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have a lot of stuff to say. Like, oh, so much. Money, please. Money, please. Uh, but for real? We appreciate all of the patrons that we already have, and if you want to support the show, uh, probably, I don't know if for sure, but probably by the time this episode comes out, the Ultimate Show will have started. Um, you know, we really got to start doing these things uh, at the top of the podcast. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it makes no sense at the end. No, it's fine. I mean, these are, these are no, for the... No, it's not. The, it's for the hardcore fans. You're right. Hardcores only. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we hit our $500 goal on Patreon, which allowed us to start the ultimate show, which will probably either be out on the Patreon for five, the Patreon account for $5 backers, or will be out shortly. Um, and yeah, any, any support we get, we already have a plan for the $1,000 goal, which is to, oh boy, how do we want to describe it? Um, so we skip a lot, right? In the club, we barely have touched we'll Iron Man. We'll skip to your house. We'll do it. What does that mean? Wherever you live. Is that a threat? Or a promise, or no. like if, you, if we get a thousand dollars, we will skip physically to your home, arm in arm, <laughs> yeah, and say hi okay. That's on it. stilts. Oh, on stilts, nice call. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so yeah, we skip we skip a lot of stuff that I'm sure is very good. Like there is the Iron Man series through the seventies. Iron Man runs through the entire seventies. Thor runs Did through you the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> right, like these are comics that are around and run, and we read ba- very little of it because, like, I don't know. Dave well, I don't said think so, I could do I Thor. Guess. I don't think I could do that, Zach. No, I don't know anything about 70s Ooh, Thor. That sounds rough. Doc- Doctor Strange, that's the big one that like keeps coming up. And this will all be like up to the club. But if we hit the $1,000, we're going to start a quarterly, which is every three months, according to my math. <laughs> Let me just type that into the old... Hang on, I'm paging my accountant. Yep, yep three every months. three months. Says three months. We'll do a, uh, a an episode overview of something that we overlooked for the club. So we'll we'll dive into like the '70s Doctor Strange, which by all accounts is very good. We'll uh, we'll do a deep dive on I don't know. I'm looking here, seeing we do very little New Mutants. Is that right? In the '80s. Yeah, I read you do. All... Well, see, you I just read in... all of it when I was doing it. So yeah. Yeah. no, that's but, not right. No, you have one and two in 1983, and then yeah. you have 26 and 20, 26 to 28 in '85. You skip 1984. Where There's we none. do Magic One to Four and New Mutants Four oh, and Eighteen I didn't... to Twenty One. You think I skipped the Demon Bear Saga? Get out of yeah, town! Right. I mean, you still skip eleven issues. I'll skip you. Issues. Okay. Anyway, if we hit that goal, we're going to start hitting these big runs and uh, covering them kind of broadly. We're not going to go story by story, but we're going to talk about like you know the the highlights, what we missed, like what's interesting about these. Because I'm sure there's like I'm sure there's a ton of uh, hidden gems out there that we uh, we don't get to talk about because they might aren't. not be like. Because I put them on the list, but I hear what you're saying. There this are some comics we don't idea. pay as much don't attention <laughs> to. <laughs> I, I'm trying to sell your idea. God. Yeah, we'll go <sighs> a little deeper on some of the stuff that. Uh, oh, that I mean, you know what? Might be like, fun. The, the Marvel team ups. I think those are a good one because those aren't like big continuity things. But I've been reading some of the thing. What is that? Marvel two and one? Is that the thing? Yeah. 
Yeah, those are great. Those are super fun. Yeah, those are right? fun. So, like, I think that would be fun Ram, to read through That'd be those. a good one to yeah. do. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah, head over to Patreon. If you can't afford to back us on the Patreon. Oh, and I just want to say another or thing about the Pat- Patreon. Well, yeah, but that's impossible. Uh, if you can't afford to, we totally understand that. And I feel like some people might bristle at the idea of us locking some content, the ultimate show behind a paywall, right? Which I understand. It is going to be out to the public eventually, but we are also totally fine with you, you know, waiting a few months, backing for $5, downloading all the episodes, and then dropping your backing like... That is, that's kind of built into it, so that that is totally acceptable. If uh, if you don't feel you can, you know, do a monthly monthly contribution, uh, and do then... what feels right to you, and we appreciate yeah, exactly. any yeah, and yeah. all support. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to make it seem like we, uh, you know, we're just in it for the money. I'm like sixty percent in it for the money. But is that 40%... right? Like when you emailed me, were you like seeing dollar no, signs? No, I'm just, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, 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 definitely not. No, boy, I'm like, I should have talked to you out of this a year ago. I'm thrilled. Like we're at the point where I can pay a, you know, a real adult bill with this now every month, and that like you're paying for your adult your adult channels with this, <laughs> all your hotel trips. That's right, my most year. You are purely funding my porn. Wow, uh, my, my Good job, my everybody. porn purchases. Thank you. Uh, it yeah, it's my just going back year. into Patreon for all my uh, you know, all the cam girls that I follow on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> The truth revealed. All right. Yeah. Glad we glad we broke that here. But if you can't afford to, iTunes is a huge help because lots of reviews on yeah, there. Yeah, download iTunes, please. Like, it really does help. Like, I know it seems silly, but like just leaving a review or a rating, it's very legitimizing to the podcast and makes us look like we are serious boys and not goof boys. And if your review says, you could just say that, you know, five stars, serious, serious boys. boys. That helps. Mm, that definitely, helps. Definitely. Uh, but you could also say some thoughts about what you you know what you think of the show. That helps. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. All right. Uh, the poll for 1977 on Patreon is: What do you prefer, the original color grading of old oh, yeah. paper floppy comics, or the new revamped digital ones that we're all reading on Marvel Unlimited? Write us your questions: mymarvelousyear gmail dot com. That's always appreciated. We'll cover those on varying issues. If you want to find the yep. show, uh, the reading list, you can do so in the show notes here of the podcast, as well as patreon.com slash MMY. Actually, that doesn't work. Patreon.com slash MyMarvelousYear. And Zach does a weekly update there with all the issues coming out. You can also join the Comic Book Herald newsletter, and I'll send them out ahead of uh, the next year at a time. Music for My Marvelous Year is by Disaster Peace. Thanks, Disaster Peace, for the tunes. And I'm Dave. This has been Zach. And you've been listening Hello. to My Marvelous Year. Thank you very much. And we'll see Thanks. you next year. See you next year.